who is the most underrated actor of all time? It's Dolph Lundgren. Correct. Why? Well, because of his uh, spiky hair and yep. his ice-cold demeanor and his big muscles. Absolutely. I must break you. My name is Sergeant Andrew Scott. Come on, guys, don't do this. If I don't get breakfast, I get real grumpy. I don't think you like me grumpy. And you go in pieces, asshole. Let's kick some ass. Hello and welcome back to I Must Break, this podcast, the fan podcast taking an in-depth look at the filmography of Dolph Lundgren. Today we're jumping back into the Universal Soldier franchise and looking at the 2012 surrealist nightmare, Universal Soldier, Day of Reckoning. In this wild continuation of the Universal Soldier saga, martial arts sensation Scott Atkins joins the fold as John, a lost soul who's after the man who murdered his wife and daughter, Jean-Claude Van Damme's Luke Devereaux. Yet as John digs deeper for the truth, he discovers that not everything is as it seems, and that he's up against not just an army of upgraded soldiers, but another clone of Dolph Lundgren's Andrew Scott, who also has his own sinister agenda. Daddy, there's monsters in the house. Created in a laboratory. Programmed to kill. I know this will live among them like ghosts. Waiting for the moment when our oppressors shall be forced to kneel before us! The day of reckoning! Betrayed, they seek freedom. Led by the undisputed Universal Soldier. We're brothers. We're one. one. But one man, haunted by grief. You don't remember anything, do you? I had a family. Consumed by vengeance. You tell me who he is. If you go looking for Devereaux, he'll find you first. Unleashes the soul of a warrior. Plumber to work. Jean Claude Van Damme, Scott Adkins, with Dolph Lundgren in the ultimate battle. Hello, soldier. To the end. Soldier, Day of Reckoning. There is no end. I'm your host, Sean Malloy, and joining me to chat this film today 
is Ben Hyten and Alex Bolarity from the Ornithology Presents podcast. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having us, Sean. Yeah, it's great, Sean. I've been excited about this for, for a while now. Thank you. Well, I, I've been excited about this as well. I mean, technically, I'm jumping a few years ahead in the filmography of Lundgren because, you know, kind of like your show, I like to go in chronological order, really, really examining uh, the, the actor's career. Um, however, the most recent episode, we looked at uh, Regeneration which was also directed by John Hyams. And when I got in contact with you guys a few months back, you guys said this was the one that you really wanted to chat about. So uh, it it really only made sense. That, that's kind of why I expedited the conversation, to be honest, because not only did I really want to talk with you guys, but I figured since the last episode was Regeneration, it kind of made sense to make the uh, next one Day of Reckoning. Yeah, it worked out great for us because we didn't really want to wait much longer. <laughs> I think the reason that we both went for this one is, bizarrely, just after it came out, I think Alex and I, we live in different cities, but we watched it at the same time. Yeah, we did. I think yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we're both fans of all of those 80s, 90s action heroes, Dolph, Jean-Claude, even Steven Seagal to an extent. So I think, you know, we've talked over the years about Arnie, obviously, which is how our podcast started. And I think we both have love for the original uh, Universal Soldier movie. And I'd seen Regeneration. I thought it was quite good. And then I saw Day of Reckoning, and it's a completely different beast. It's unlike any other film in the franchise, I think. So that's why I'm really excited to talk about this one. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I, could, I almost didn't believe it when like, we were given the invitation and everything. Because uh, when Ben recommended this film to me when it came out, he said, he ba it, like so many of Ben's recommendations to me are just like, you have to watch this. Like, just don't ask me anything. Watch this. And I tend to trust him, you know, and there's a few over the years where he's done that with. But for it, for it, it just it, correct me if I'm wrong, Ben, but this film feels so much sort of on on brand if we have a brand. I mean, our brand is following certain actors uh, across, you know, their careers, um, uh, much, much like yourself, Sean. And um I, I to to have a film like this where our, our sort of eighties action hero stars are being put into the kind of all the new stuff that has been developed, and yeah. you, if you want a universal the Universal Soldier franchise is to for me it, the whole thing even even the shitty films they feel like a, a kind of um, a, like a sketch of how uh, action films have changed over the years and what we've come to expect from them. And for me, Day of Reckoning is like is the pinnacle, the the merging of, you know, sort of the the martial arts films that we see, you know, from the east and then coming and then and west merging into this kind of high production quality uh, action f um, fiesta. I don't know what to say. It's crazy. It's just it's such an insane film. Well, what's really interesting about it is. You know, I, I agree with everything that you guys said. Um, I will say the original Universal Soldier film is such a classic. And it uh, and yeah. I'm not going to repeat myself because I've, you know, echoed this on previous episodes. But the original Universal Soldier film is is really uh, symbolic of that early 90s period. And there's so much about it that is just so amazing. I mean, number one, it took two action stars in their prime and yeah. pitted them against one another. I can't think of too many other films that did that. With regard to this particular film, Day of Reckoning, 
it's it's really interesting because when you hear about it, I, I think you know people either really love it or they hate it. And what's what's really mm-hmm. fascinating about it is it almost seems like the film is purposely trying to alienate fans of the original yes, because I, it is yes. so completely different from the original. And I will admit, I mean, I'm not going to get to my recommendation, you know, right now, but I will admit when I first saw this film, I was turned off and I really didn't like it because it was, you know, such a different taste and such a different animal than the first, than, you know, than the first universal soldier regeneration. If you take a look at regeneration, yeah. regeneration is certainly um, much more brutal than, than the first one. However, it's still, it's still kind of, it's still in the same wheelhouse, if you will. You know what I mean? It's it's still a proper sequel. This film is just completely, you know, on another level, completely out of left field. I mean, it is out there. Yeah, I, I think this film, it, if you haven't seen Regeneration, you wouldn't recognize this as a Universal Soldier movie at all. It bears no resemblance to the original movie. I think if you watch them as a trilogy, like yeah. the first one, Regeneration and Day of Reckoning, I guess it kind of makes sense, but I I do think I don't know anything about John Hyams in particular, but I do think he was sort of tearing up the rule book and saying, you know what, I just want to make the movie I want to make, and exactly. if it means that I've got some brand recognition by tying it to Unisol, so be it. But actually, this is just the film I want to make. Yeah, yeah. Well, and actually, before we before we really get rolling, I have to ask you guys because I've listened to uh, uh, quite a few episodes of your podcast. Um, Tell us real quick about the ornithology because I mean you you guys essentially do um, kind of what I've been doing um, with and you guys pick each season you guys pick a new actor and you guys go through that actor's entire filmography uh, film by film. So if I'm correct, season one you guys focused on Arnold Schwarzenegger. Season two was Tom Cruise, and currently you're at Keanu Reeves. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So I, I guess I guess my my number one question there is I mean what has uh, inspired you to pick certain actors for each of these seasons? Is there a inspiration? Is too strong a word? Yeah. I mean Ar- the Arnie the the, the 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 way it started was Alex and I went to university together and when he invited me around to his flat for the first time he had three DVDs on his shelf. Uh, <laughs> one was. David um, Blaine's Showman, which I think, I mean, we all had that DVD, right? Yeah. Um, the other was uh, Denzel Washington, Russell Crowe masterpiece, Virtuosity. Yep. Amazing. Um, and then there was Terminator 2 in this beautiful steel doc, uh, Steelbook limited edition release. So we got talking about them. It turned out we were both big Arnie fans. Um, Alex showed me a picture of him in his teen years in a would you call it like a unitard? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was rowing at the time, so I, I was like just working out. I was pretty ripped, but yeah. It is doing... just a, row, a rowing like lycra, that's what it is, yeah. Oh, right. Okay. But you yeah. were doing the classic Arnie, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, bodybuilder pose. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, fast forward like 15 years, and I had been involved in another podcast project that had come to an end. I fancied doing something again, and I just put it to Alex. I said, let's go right back to the beginning do all of his films in order and then once we'd done that once i mean that took about a year or more um to sort of get up to speed doing them in chronological order we had a good time we had a fan base we wanted to keep going and i I, tom cruise just came out of nowhere we we kind of wanted to do sigourney weaver and then we realized well actually tom cruise 
is is got a really really good body of work um and that was brilliant i really really enjoyed that and it gave me a, a, a different kind of appreciation for tom cruise when we came to to settling on keanu i think it was really just last year he was having a real cultural moment uh you know with the anticipation for for cyberpunk the the game that's coming out um and just lots of memes around him and and it coming out that he's just a wholesome good dude and it just felt like it was the right person to to maybe do something a bit more popular maybe less niche than what we've done before um and of all of the guys that we've looked at Keanu's the person whose films we actually know the least uh, we only really know the big hitters and it's been really interesting finding all of these small indie films that he's worked on over the years but that leads me to a question Sean because the natural crossover for our two projects is obviously Johnny Mnemonic because that would be Keanu and Dolph Lundgren in the same movie but when you contacted us about possibly doing a, a crossover you didn't mention Johnny Mnemonic I don't think you mentioned Street Kings <laughs> <laughs> yes yes and and look and I, I know you can, you um, floated out there on your show, but I, I will say it again. If uh, you, you guys are willing and you guys um, would like a, a third voice on uh, Street Kings, I would love to join you guys. So, um, but, uh, but yes, yeah, Street Kings is actually one of my favorite Keanu roles. You know, and I, I, I voiced it in an email to you guys, but I'll just, I'll kind of echo it again. You know, it's, it's really interesting. I think Keanu Reeves, has had a fascinating career as well. Yeah. And if you really think about this, and maybe maybe most of the credit should go to his agent, I don't know. But if you really think about it, he has, I mean, we can really chart Keanu Reeves as being, as being the action star or actor, if you just want to call it an actor. But we can chart him as uh, being the one who has really reset the action genre three times because if you really think about it okay when he did speed back in mm -hmm. 1994 95 or whatever that was the film that kind of showed audiences that the action heroes did not need to be the big muscly guys like arnold and sly and yeah. so when speed yeah. speed pretty much uh set the action genre in a new direction and suddenly guys like uh like arnold and sly were kind of reeling from that a bit and then if you jump down a few years down the line, if you look at The Matrix, when The Matrix came out, that was, I actually watched that one again just a couple of days ago, Matrix completely broke the rules. And so if you look yeah. at the action genre there, you suddenly had a lot of, um, what did they call it, wire foo, you know what I mean? You yeah. suddenly had a lot yeah. of wire work and um, a lot of action movies were kind of using that, that bullet time aspect. And then if you jump down a few more years down the line, uh, you go to John Wick, and once again, Keanu Reeves, reset the action genre because what do we have now we have uh, action movies are kind of trying to ape the uh the style that we saw in john wick you know what i mean and so it, it's really amazing I, I guess we can say uh thank you mr reeves for continually uh, you know putting the genre into a uh, a new uh a new format i think he, yeah absolutely thanks keanu if you're listening we love you get in touch at the anthology yeah but, um, <laughs> of course he's, he's just for me he's the perennial comeback kid he's been you know, um, underestimated since day one. And whenever his career seems to be at its lowest, at lowest ebb, he seems to come back with one of his biggest hits. And those films that you've mentioned uh, are, are exactly it. You know, he became an action hero with speed. He wasn't up to that point. He'd only done Point Break in the action genre before that. Um, he 
absolutely lifted himself up from from what was becoming a career rut or indecision at least in the end of the 90s with the matrix which which completely revived his career and again sort of hit the doldrums again around the end of the 2010s and just blew everyone away with with john wick again and i don't maybe you're right maybe he has just got the best agent in the world but um it's something that we're continuing to chart and and you know by the end of the keanu copia hopefully we'll have some sort of thesis about the genius of keanu Yes, one of the things that I've learned uh, during this uh, season with Keanu, I think we sort of stumbled upon it. I I think it's Ben's credit for picking it out, is that we thought that Keanu was, you know, an an A-list action star uh, uh, who had like lulls in his career where he would do independent movies. But having seen some of these other films that just weren't even on my radar, um, I... I realized though we realized through discussion is that he's, he actually is, he prefers doing those independent films. Like it seems to be what he wants to do and that he does the bigger films either just because, or, or, you know, to, for a paycheck or whatever other reason, or he is attracted to the projects genuinely, but it was, it's very strange for me to see it the other way around because that's not the Keanu I knew. And I always made the assumption that he would do it's, these these other films because he wasn't getting the bigger roles or his career was in a lull in some way i, I sort of saw him a, a bit like a john travolta you know lull in his career until pop fiction came along but that that's not the case at all with keanu he, he just seems to be consistently working and yeah he, he he's done some films that we you know we're we're saying are one or two stars but I'm really excited to get into some of the other movies that I, that I would not have wanted to watch otherwise. And I think that's, that's the thing that's propelled me throughout our podcast is first of all, Ben's invitation and, and insistence, you know, uh, as a friend and fellow podcaster say, Hey, you know, stretch your horizons, watch these films, even if they're in genres that you don't like. Um, and following one particular actor forces, forces you to do, to do that. And I'm wondering if you found the same thing with, with Dolph. I, I don't know nearly as much about his career as, of course, y- you must do. But he's not necessarily an actor that I would have decided to follow, albeit for some of the action films that I know he's in. Um, and But that was a large part of our thinking was around, like, we thought we thought about Meryl Streep. We have people constantly telling us to do uh, Tom Hanks or Sigourney Weaver. And then, you know, we have these other ideas, but we look at their body of work and we say, is it going to be interesting? And, you know, I mentioned Meryl Streep. It's, we just say, well, we don't want to do that because every single episode is going to be, yep, Meryl Streep's great. Well done. Yeah, she's brilliant. She was nominated for an Oscar. Well done, Meryl. Yeah. Next Tom, week, Tom same Hanks, thing. Same. That's the same problem with Tom Hanks. And, and so it's like we, want, we wanted to pick people who had bodies of work that are interesting. And I'm interest, I, I would also like to know if you're willing to, to share, Sean, what your process was in, in terms of picking Dolph. Yeah, well um, – Everything you guys said, I, I really appreciate. And yeah, I know. And real quick, before I forget, might yeah. I suggest for season four, you guys consider the great <laughs> Kurt Russell. Oh, oh Kurt you're, Russell you are body of work. You're absolutely <laughs> not the first person to mention no. Kurt Russell. I think he's probably <laughs> the the person most people have suggested. And he's certainly and in the in the running. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he yeah. he big in the eighties, which is important for us because we had yeah. to grow up watching his films. He's done action movie stuff, absolutely iconic action stuff, definitely. Yeah. He's done lots of different genres, and he's still working today, and yeah. he's still uh, he's still pretty good. I I like Kurt Russell a lot. I think it's a good call. 
He's so cool. He's so cool. And it kind of like with, uh, you know, going back to what you guys said about Street Kings, I think the reason why I've gravitated to Street Kings and also why I gravitate to uh, someone like Kurt Russell is in Street Kings in particular, Keanu is just so cool. I mean, he is so <laughs> badass. I've used this analogy before. But on the show Seinfeld, there was the episode where um, uh, uh, George had a man crush on Tony. Yeah. who was Elaine's boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of how I feel when I watch Street Kings. I just, you know, when <laughs> and I feel I feel silly admitting this. But no, when, it's great. When Keanu, when Keanu was on screen in Street Kings and he is wearing, I'll never forget this, but when he is wearing that Pantera shirt and he's wearing all these rings and everything, he just looks so cool that I, I feel like George Costanza where I'm like, dude, can I hang out with you? Yeah. Like, can yeah. I? Just... I feel pretty much like that about every Keanu film, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, anyone who's listening to our latest season is Ben is crushing hard on Keanu like all the time. And not even just Keanu, just his hair. But really his hair more than anything. <laughs> I do. I have a hair envy. Yeah, it's something yeah. that comes with middle age. Yeah. The man doesn't age either. Um, I mean, can we just yeah. say that as well? Like, that's Keanu, a, that's he a thing, isn't it? Age. Isn't there a, there's yeah. a whole website like Keanu, Immortal Keanu or something like that, isn't there? About tracking how yeah. there's like pictures of these old old pictures of Keanu, like old ye oldy pictures of people that look exactly like Keanu. Have you seen this? Have you come across this? Oh, Sean? like he's a, yeah, like he's a time traveler. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen that, Sean? Yeah, yeah. It's a, crazy bits of it. Yeah, no, it's it's amazing. But, but you know, to 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 answer your question about uh, about Dolph, yeah, yeah. You know, um, he he's been. I mean, look, I. I've said it before. And I'll say it again. He has been uh, my favorite since uh, since I was a real little kid. And so when I decided to get into podcasting, I saw that there was a bit of a niche that there was there were a movie retrospective review podcast out there, obviously, but there was not one dedicated to um, to Dolph. And I feel like, you know, when you are on this journey and you are going through an actor's entire filmography, I mean, and I've seen these films already before. But when you are going in succession and watching every one of these films in order, kind of like with uh, with you guys, I imagine you not only do you appreciate the actor and their their career and their decisions in this order, but you you kind of start to understand things, uh, you know, and why they chose certain roles, mm -hmm. you know, when you go in order, especially as you you know look back upon it nowadays. I mean, for example, I imagine when you guys did um, Kindergarten Cop. You know, when I when I first saw Kindergarten Cop, you know, it was a, you know, cute little uh, you could say family film, but it's yeah. actually uh, kind of oddly violent in some yeah. parts. But when you watch it, it's just, oh, this is this is Arnold. He's a big teddy bear. But what's fascinating about Kindergarten Cop is correct me if I'm wrong. I probably should go back through this. But that was his one of his first attempts at comedy. And then I believe what he followed that up with either Total Recall or Terminator 2. If I'm not mistaken, so I, I, he went from yeah. I think it's either side. He did like he did Twins, which was obviously the big. It was such a huge hit, Twins. That was his big entry into comedy, and and then yeah, you're right. Total Recall, Kindergarten Cop, T2. I mean, it's just it's a really weird spread of things there. But you understand, like, okay, th this is why he chose to do this film at that moment in time. You know, he wanted yeah. to kind of tap into you know, another market that he also wanted to dip back into the market that he, that he knew and that he understood and that he knew was going to sell. And so I think with, with any actor, kind of when you go on these journeys, like I said, you understand it and you appreciate it more. I mean, I'll admit right now, I am really not looking forward to uh, covering uh, 
Dolph Lundgren when he did Kindergarten Cop 2. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm not looking forward to it. However, going in this order, I can understand why he did that because uh, when he did Kindergarten Cop 2, let's see, that came out in 2016, 2017. He was on a bit of a, uh, he was on a bit of a comeback. And while that was a direct-to-video film, I think around that time, he wanted to, uh, he wanted to kind of strike while the iron was hot. And so that came in a period in his career where he was just signing on for tons of these small little direct-to-video projects. But that one in particular had a fairly big uh, marketing push. And for a direct-to-video release, that right. one was, was, uh, was, was pretty big. And so I think, like I said, when you go back through and you, you know, watch these films, especially in, you know, in hindsight, when you, when you watch them today, you know, they always say hindsight is twenty twenty. So you, you get a, um, I, I guess you get a greater understanding is what I'm trying to say yeah. of as why they picked on certain roles. Yeah, that's exactly right, Sean. Like, uh, there's an interesting thing. I think might might seem like a bit of a jump, but it's, I feel like it's a good segue before we get into talking about the movie as well. Is um, I've always thought of like, there's a few, there's one or two, maybe three tiers of action stars, and you know we have the sort of the Planet Hollywood group. You know, you have Arnie, Sly, and Bruce Willis. That you might say at the time of 80s 90s action they're they're like they're the pinnacle but then you get your you know um jcvds you get your dolphs you get your chuck norris you know you get people yeah. like that who uh, like they are doing a lot of director video stuff but kind of uh, nipping at the heels if you want of, of these a-listers and and case in point there's a nice neat little story um and and like you sean i'd love the the original universal soldier like it for me, it is the one of, if not the quintessential action films of the time. It's got everything in it for me. It's got it's got action. It's got that cheese, you know, that kind of a bit of melodrama as well. Uh, and it doesn't it doesn't dip into that kind of thing that it, it descended into with the subsequent films that came out in like, I think the same year. I think there was two sequels made in 98 uh, with Matt Battaglia. Is that his name? Yeah, and yeah, it, the, it, the the Canadian made for TV right, sequels. Yeah, yeah, so. uh, awful. Uh, I, I don't think it pays to even talk about it, but maybe offline, I, I've got some. F there's just funny things to comment on, and it's. I, I watched all of them just in preparation for this, um, just to see if there was anything that stuck in the Unisol universe. You know, anything that was canon, but really nothing in the in the these the John Hyam films. Uh, not, nothing really does stick other than from what the original is and there aren't really any characters that cross over at all but i think it does pay to watch the original and then these two uh, and the return is just uh, in many ways the return Terrible. is worse yeah because yeah. the matt battaglia films yeah. you can just enjoy them as like oh, some weird x-files episode or something that that's the like well even though the x-files was great in its own way it had some pretty awful episodes um but it has the same production values as those very early x-files episodes uh, it, it is made for TV, uh, like you said. There's a story about Arnie visiting the Universal Soldier set, and um, to, just to visit Jean Claude and to like have a a tour of the set. And this private plane arrives, like where near or where they're filming, and it's Tom Cruise's jet. It's Tom Cruise's private plane, and the story goes that. Um, everyone knows this is Tom Cruise's plane arriving and Arnie comes off and the, comes off the plane. And the reason why it's Arnie's because Arnie's private jet was in the shop 
<laughs> it was it was getting repaired. Sure. So Tom sure. Cruise lent him. Yeah, just oh, so you can borrow mine. It's just like like borrowing my car. It's insane. And the theory goes, or the 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 fan theory that I was reading anyway, the guy who's writing the article, he was saying it seemed as though like Arnie was uh, checking out the competition, like because not mm. only just John Clody's visiting, it's Dolph is there too, and it seemed as though Arnie was. Yeah, it's the kind of if you watch some of the interviews that he he's he gives, especially uh, like on the Predator um, yep. uh, making <laughs> of, you you see how competitive Arnie was and how he he was looking out for the people that were what, what that were his competitors. But also there was a camaraderie there. Apparently they went back to Jean Claude's trailer after a tour and they ate chicken and pasta. <laughs> but but like, I think it, I it's think a that's, weird story. Yeah, yeah, but that's really on. interesting because if yeah. I think about so bizarrely, my best friend when I was about ten years old was also called Alex, different Alex. But we were were big into Arnie films, and I, we're fortunate enough that our parents let us watch all of the Eighteen Certificate. Is this the only um, reason you asked me to come on, like the podcast? It's a big reason. Like, it's, it's, I'm not going to lie. I just remind you. You just said, "Oh, Alex likes Arnie films." Yeah, I get to relive my youth a little bit. Yeah, great. Thanks, man. But you know, you you watching Predator, Commando, um, you know all uh, Red Heat, Raw Deal, all of them, and you want more of that. And there's only so many Arnie films, so you start looking at the other films that are on the same shelf in, in the video store. Yeah. That's how you find, um, you know, A Wall or Kickboxer, Kickboxer, or, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Joshua Tree, right? Punisher. So that's how we. No. That's how we. Yeah, Punisher, right? So that's how we got into. The Jean-Claude Van Dams, the Steven Seagal's, uh, Mark Dacascos, Dolph Lundgren. Okay. So then when Universal Soldier comes out, it was for us like when Heat came out, you know? Yeah. Like these two are together for yeah. the first time and they're rivals. Like this is going to be a film of these two kicking the shit out of each other. And that was so exciting. And that first film, okay, it's corny, you know, it's cheesy, it's very 90s or whatever. It's so much fun. I mean, it's. It was extraordinarily violent at the time, really. It's a very gory film in a lot of ways. But it's it's gory with all of the the fun of that 90s uh, yeah. action genre. And Dolph Lundgren, I have to say, is still absolutely amazing in that film. His yeah, scene, stunning. Yeah. His scene in the, um, in the grocery store when he's ranting. Oh, my God. See, they're everywhere. Yeah. That bit. Yeah. I, I, I love that scene so much. Yeah. And some of the faces he pulls in the final fight as well are great. Oh, my God. When he throws the grenade and he gets Veronica, he does this kind of fist bump to the air. Yeah. It's insane. <laughs> it should be a meme yeah. if it isn't. It should be like some gif. Like, it's insane. He's just like, yeah. Like, he's so happy that he got it. And, oh, it's insane. Well, and, the, and the grocery store scene. Yeah, and in the grocery store scene, you, 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 you said it right, Ben, but you also, you have to remember, he does a pause. Because he goes, see? Yeah. And then there's a pawn yeah. and he kind of holds up his arms. He's all, see? They're everywhere. Right. You know, and, and he, and, the, the pawn is the Sean, best thing the about thing. that scene. Sorry to yeah. jump ahead, Sean, and, and to jump in, but that's the thing that I enjoyed, um, particularly uh, with his performance in uh, in Regeneration. Like, I was waiting for that scene. You talked about it on the episode that you, you did with, with David Ullman. Is that how you say his name? Yes, yes. Um, it was, you both pointed it out and I, I want to reiterate it. It's, I'm waiting for this moment. I'm waiting for this scene because I've seen the original Universal Soldier thing with the, the ears in Vietnam and he's, he's, he's 
talking into the ears like can you hear me you know <laughs> it's like there are these cheesy quips that are in they're in it and i do think that regeneration is a universal soldier film uh, i don't think it's too much of a departure i think it's midway in between the original and uh, uh day of reckoning and uh, but if you look at the original day of reckoning yeah they're very different films but i think that regeneration sits in the middle it, it bridges the gap between them and it bridges the gap between the transition that you see the John Devereux, uh, not Luke Devereux, sorry, Luke Devereux character taking that he's going through this evolution that, that it, do, it does make sense with the films in sequence. You, you see how, how he turns into this kind of universal soldier God in the end, but it, for him to go from the character he is when Dolph is, you know, about to kill these villagers in Vietnam to be, to becoming the the same basically as the Dolph character and becoming Dolph's you know alpha, if you want, it it kind of to me it's sort of it's like Dolph Dolph was always the Universal Soldier if that makes sense and he was he's always the psych, psychotic one and that's the th the thread that I see going throughout the whole thing is that there's something in Andrew Scott's genes that make him that he's always going to be this way. There's like a genetic memory. That he's always yeah. going to be this psychotic killer. He's, he's a psychopath, yeah. and that's yeah. the difference. Luke Devereaux has humanity, and it's it's that that drives their rivalry throughout. And that is what's so interesting about Jean-Claude's character in Day of Reckoning, I think. Exactly. Yeah. No. I mean, and I, I was just going to say, yeah, no. This particular film, I mean, I, I remember when I first heard about this, and I was kind of in a bit of a disbelief that it was uh, actually going to happen. Right. But... What's interesting is I remember I, I was, uh, you know, following the production. And when you see, I mean, early on, before I even saw the film, when I saw the various production stills that were uh, that were being shopped around, showing what the characters looked like in costume, yeah, it was almost a shock here. And you right. could tell, like, okay, John Hyams, he's going for something different here. Because Jean-Claude Van Damme, he is, you know... This is not the same Luke Devereaux this mm, go around. I definitely. mean, and when I remember when I saw some of these uh, these early photos, Jean Claude has a completely shaved head. Yeah. Um. You know, his he's completely bald, and um, the leads in these uh in these promotional you know production photos, the leads so Dolph and uh, Jean Claude and Scott Atkins, they're all posing with machetes. I'll never forget this, but they all are holding yeah, machetes, right. and I'm thinking, at the time, I was like, okay, this is uh. This is this is a different animal. This is going to have a different taste. And if you look at this one compared to um, Universal Soldier Regeneration, as if Universal Soldier Regeneration wasn't brutal enough, this one completely goes off the oh rails in terms of its violence oh and God, brutality. Yeah. I mean, there's no is, holding back. No holding. And that's back. yeah, the, that's the big tonal difference between the original Universal Soldier and this one is as violent yeah. as Universal Soldier is. It is predominantly fun. It's it's entertainment along with the violence. I don't think the violence in Day of Reckoning is supposed to be fun. I think it is supposed no. to be ugly and upsetting and yeah. forcing you to almost look away. It's and how we empathize with the, the with John character, Scott Atkins character. Well, it's very, very acerbic. It's very unsettling. I mean, and if you think about it, whereas Regeneration was a hybrid of action and horror, this one is most definitely leaning more into its horror because this film is almost more of a horror film than an action movie. I mean, every time a gun is fired in this movie, the camera rarely 
shies away from its mm. impact. I mean, every just, headshot just when the black. kid's getting shot, that's it. Yeah, and as a father now yeah. myself, I'll admit the the opening scene is it's. Rough. I couldn't watch it's, it. I mean, and from that opening scene, sure, yeah, it's, it's, it's I had to, to fast forward. I I saw it when it came out, but I don't know whether it's older age and you know having children around in my life. I just couldn't. Uh, I just went straight. I knew what was happening, and I said to myself, "I don't have to see this." And I went. I fast forward. But what a what a statement of intent! Like right off the bat, you know, it, I feel almost sorry for the poor sap who went looking for a, a cheesy action film and thought, "Oh, okay, oh they're reckoning a go." Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if, again, trying to alienate. I think he's trying to alienate fans. Of the original, I wouldn't have, I honestly I wouldn't think have that said that, but decision. you guys are right. I wouldn't have, no, I wouldn't have thought that's the case. But in in a similar way that, like, I, I don't know if this is a really weird like sidetrack, but it felt like that way with Rick and Morty. Like, it seemed like Justin Roiland, like, even in the like third season, they were already doing episodes that were like, oh yeah, you want you want something funny? Let's do something, and they just came out with Pickle Rick, and it it it's. It was like a fuck you to like, we're not going to do what you think you, what we, you want us to do. We're going to do what we find fun and interesting ended up being fun and interesting. I don't think that's the goal here. I think John Hyams has taken the concept and said, what would it actually be? Like, if this was real, if there were, if, if the government was in control of this program and lost control of this program, what would happen? And he nailed well, I think it. The, he, I, think, he, I think he fucking nailed it. The, the the script actually isn't necessarily that interesting. It's it's no. a pretty standard uh, revenge plot, really, from Scott Adkins' point of view. But from that opening scene onwards, what John, John Hyams does with it is he actually manages to give it a certain amount of emotional resonance because he's he's really using a lot of different tricks to try and immerse you in what Scott Adkins is going through. And I'm never going to say that Scott Adkins is going to win an Oscar for Best Actor or anything. I like him. But I think John Hyams is doing a lot of work for him in this instance. You know, you've got the, the POV sequence right at the beginning, complete with artificial blinks uh, as part of the cinematography. Oh, uh, yeah. And then, you know, pushing you up to that point of, surely they're not going to kill the kid. Yep, the kid is the first to go. And then... Um, Which is not actually. At, actually, the hardest thing to watch in the whole film is the stroboscopic sequences. Oh my god, there should be a warning. Yeah. There should be Definitely. an epilepsy, epilepsy warning or something yeah. at the beginning of this. There isn't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and let's let's just say right now. I mean, the fact that uh, that John Hyams made this film the way you know the the the, the reason why I think this film looks and feels and is the way it is is because i feel like john hyams had the pull to make the film that he wanted and i think the reason yeah. for that is because regeneration was success so really well i didn't I, realize I, it gonna, was yeah well and i mean in i'm gonna kind of go back to what i said with uh regeneration but yeah. in regeneration i feel like john hyams was the real star in that movie because regardless of the violence and themes um throw fans off there's no denying that that John Hyams has his own aesthetic and style, which is loud, proud, and on display here. And so, I mean, the story goes: um, John Hyams took over the uh, the Universal Soldier franchise in 2009 with the sequel, Regeneration. That film turned out to be a modest success in terms of a uh, mm -hmm. video action film. And so, Hyams was brought back on board to helm the next installment. 
And what he did, which, as we keep saying, was a risky gamble, but also slightly ingenious, is he took this in a completely different direction because Hyams now had the weight and pull to do this. And, you know, look, we, we've seen this happen all the time in Hollywood. When a director takes a franchise or noted property and he turns it into a success for the studio, well, then that director is given more creative control with their next film. Yeah. I mean, look, the, the example I always love to cite is, look, for example, at the original 1989 Batman compared to 1992's Batman Returns. Batman Returns is so much more yeah. of a Tim Burton film than, than the first one. And I think yeah. a lot of that is because Warner Brothers backed off a bit and they said, okay, you, you've, you've, you've shown us what you can do. It was success. Make the film you want to. And I feel yeah. like that is exactly what Hyams is doing here. No way would Hyams have been able to go this route with Regeneration. Yeah. But because Regeneration was a success that it was, Hyams said, okay, I'm going, I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm going to add a Lynchian element, yeah. and a David Lynchian vibe to this entire franchise. Do you think that's because he, do you think he knew he wasn't going to get another one? Like, cause I don't, there hasn't been one. Well, yeah. I was just going to say, I don't, eight, eight I don't years, think no. John Hyams has been able to cash in those chips for anything much in the years since, has he? Have you seen any of his subsequent films? Cause I checked a few out on IMDb and they, they don't have very good reviews. He did a, uh, he did a dramedy. It's a sports dramedy called all square. That um, is actually a, a a charming little movie, but it's not an action movie, obviously at all. It's it's very you know it's it's a very straightforward, simple little independent um, drama comedy kind of thing. Um, he did another one that's out right now called Alone, um, about a, a woman being hunted in the woods by a uh, by a stalker serial that killer. That sounds like more like his film one. though. <laughs> the other one sounds like a paycheck. Yeah. This one sounds like his film. I mean, but I mean, the guy is. Uh, the guy is talented and it's very yeah. clear when, you know, when he is shooting a film that he has his own style. And like I said earlier, that he has his own aesthetic, which he loves to uh, display. He did another one with uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. That was, called yeah. That's the one I was interested in, but not, it sounds terrible. <laughs> it's, it's not good. It's not good to be perfectly honest. And <laughs> yeah. Jean-Claude is, he's barely on screen. I, I think Jean-Claude at about 2008, 2009 kind of, started saying, you know, this Hollywood thing is uh, I'm, I'm going to be semi-retired. Because if you look at all of his films, he takes on these supporting roles and he doesn't speak a heck of a lot. You almost see that he sense that he doesn't even want to be that's there. such a shame. Um, because <laughs> so, but that, that, all of this stuff shame. happened just after the JCVD movie, which Alex and I have talked about. His performance in that oh is remarkable. God. Like, he's I love that. So film. good in that. that. And then he did these couple yeah. of Universal Soldier films. Like, good, okay, this is cool. You're doing interesting stuff. And then, yeah, it just seems to evaporate it. Although I understand you know, Jean-Claude Van Johnson, yeah. the show he did on Prime, is supposed to be quite good. It was okay. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people loved it, and there are some things about it that uh, that are fun. I, I personally was not as enamored as some with it because I, I wanted a little bit more out of it, to be perfectly honest. I don't think six episodes – I think it was six episodes, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think that was nearly enough. And I feel like the 30-minute runtime of each episode was not enough to really – you know, to have fun with the concept, but um, I think it was a a valiant effort, and he he definitely has he he has fun with his uh, with with poking fun at his career and his image over the years. But yeah, with with regard to his directed video output in these films, I mean, if you look at his look at the end of Day of Reckoning, I mean, which we're going to be get to, it is it is out there, it is bizarre. But even though he has this wild look, 
he doesn't speak yeah. really at all in this no. film. And so you you have to wonder, it's kind of like, Jean-Claude, do you, do you even want to be here anymore? Do you even want to be doing this anymore? Like, what is going on? Yeah, it's um, weird. I think it might be, I, I mean, I think, so you said, you said a, a bit about this on your previous episode, uh, Sean, which I, I really, I really enjoyed it, by the way. Just like, I thought it was a really good analysis of the Unisol franchise as, as well. And um, you and David pulled out some points, uh, especially that there's a um, the thing about there being no real protagonist at, at all in yeah. in uh, regeneration, and it's the it's the exact opposite in 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 their reckoning. It's there's o- only really the protagonist, and that makes Jean Claude's part in it, the way he plays it, much make much more sense. He is this kind. He's he's right. a ghost, and the character. In Day of Reckoning makes sense. He's a ghost. And so while we might be disappointed in not seeing more of Jean-Claude, it fits with whatever contractual obligations he had or whatever he was saying he wanted to do. Like like you guys pointed out his, I don't know, 15 days of filming or whatever he had contracted. And it was sad for me to to hear that because I'm, I'm not saying I disagree with the analysis. It's probably true. I, I don't know nearly enough about how these things play out to know to know what's what's really happening but it made it suddenly made sense of why he was he was doing so little on screen and i don't know whether that how much of that was because jean-claude started to phone it in in his career at the moment and he's just again taking a paycheck or it's john Hyam saying no i want you to play it this way i want you to like basically not be there well, i think part of it is you know, also it's the, the character demands that you know, obviously Go as he's got older i think he's in his 60s yeah. now um, but even on this film in 2012, he was really struggling with the action choreography. I think you can see it's not him in some some bits. But he, you? you know, because Scott Scott Atkins is half wonder. his age. Um, it's ridiculous. He, he yeah. just couldn't he couldn't keep up with him. And they're doing that thing where they like speed up his punches. I don't know what it's called. There's a name for it, isn't there? Speed. You know, speed punching. Where, you know, like. Speed punching, yeah. <laughs> Speed punching. No, yeah, no. And I you... can't help. I can't help but wonder why. Whereas you know, Jean Claude's uh, his his look at the final and in, in, in the final fight in the film where he has his head yeah. painted. What is it? The top half of his head is painted white. Yeah, the Bottom yeah. half is painted black. And while it is bizarre and it certainly you know leaves an impression, I can't help if you know one of the big reasons why they Definitely. did that yeah. and they applied that that makeup to him at the end. Was to make the sure. use of doubling. Definitely, so definitely. In this, I mean, yeah. that, that that's the best reason. I, I think it even of. looks. Like, you know, it and, actually looks like a black guy. When I was like, I paused it, and I think that his double isn't even a, a, a white guy. I think it's a black guy. Maybe that's just because of the shaved head and the angle I was looking at it. It just didn't look like it was. It looked like the, his double looked nothing like. They got Michael Jai White back. It, yeah, can you yeah. imagine it, if it was a Michael Jai White, uh, Michael Jai White thing? Well, Alex, you said something that, uh, I mean, well, let's just get to the protagonist of the film. Right. Um, because this particular film had an $8 million budget, which compared to the $23 million budget of the first one nearly 20 years prior is pretty small. And so, yeah. like Regeneration, because the budget is so small, I imagine they could not afford the two leads, the the, the two who essentially get top billing, which is really which is really odd, um, Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren, they're going to be absent for a good majority of this one. 
And so what, what Hyams did, which, uh, which I loved, which I thought was very wise, because in Regeneration, there really wasn't a single protagonist to follow. So with this one, John Hyams said, okay, we need a protagonist. If, if, if the big action guys are only going to be in three scenes, which I counted, I'd be surprised if, uh, if Dolph is in this movie for more than six minutes. Uh, same thing with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, Day of Reckoning certainly gave us a protagonist. And what, what's, what's so cool about this, okay, you're in the headspace of John Hyams, who is a compelling and tough lead who can hold their own against guys like Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren. Enter the amazing Scott Atkins. Now, I have to ask you guys, you guys are from England. Yeah. Is Scott Atkins a national treasure <laughs> over there? Because I want Sadly to- not. No, <laughs> he isn't. I don't no, think he's any. He I don't think be. he's any yeah. better known over here than he is uh, anywhere else in the world. Actually, the only thing I'd say is different is he probably gets a little bit more press when his films come out here because he's a very um, zealous advocate for any movie that he puts out. Um, I've always thought Scott Adkins. Yeah, he's direct. He's directing. Yeah, now, yeah. Isn't he? Oh, he does all sorts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's very well regarded in the industry as well. I think him and Michael Jai White are actually best friends. They've done a bunch of movies together. Um, I've always thought Scott Adkins is what you get if you cross Ben Affleck with Jason Statham. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, no, that that's exactly. Well, I mean, and in this one, I mean, he he makes it excusable the fact that okay, if if guys like Van Damme and Dolph are going to be largely absent from this movie, it makes it excusable that you're going to have Scott Adkins, a guy like Scott Adkins, take the lead in in a film like this. Uh, yeah, you're you're totally right. Uh, it's Okay, so I'm just going to come right in and say it. There's visually, I wouldn't say that I like, I enjoy watching everything that I see on screen in this movie. However, this is, this is the kind of, I, I, I've said it before, it's like, for me, this kind of action film says, let's take a cheesy uh, 90s concept early 90s concept action film and let's say what would what would what would it actually be like and you see it in regeneration really clearly clearly there are pregnant pauses where in a 90s film there would have been a quip of some kind like when just like when jean-claude like just blows up uh the um andre character that um I don't know the character's name. In, I think he's just the NGU. You know, regeneration. He's just called the NGU. Yeah, yeah. He's the NGU, NGU right? Yes, yeah, just the NGU. Yeah. That's all we need. Yeah, that, <laughs> he just explodes, and you just there's this pause where he he stops, looks up at the kids that are on some kind of walkway, catwalk uh, in this complex, in this industrial complex, um, and and you should he should say something like, "See you around." Uh, yeah, see you around, or some quip that doesn't even anything that would be, but it doesn't happen. And I think there's lots of moments where that would have happened in 90s films to 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 sell that kind of cartoony action style that we had become accustomed to. Uh, and a friend of mine said it um, when we watched Speed um, for, for for this for our podcast. It it's she just said, why can't we make films like this anymore? Why can't we have the cheesy 90s action film? And arguably, the only franchise i think that's still trying to do it is the fast and furious yep. movies um, unless i'm wrong unless there's something unless there's a lot more that i'm not paying attention to 
and and like it might be a lot of director video stuff or director streaming stuff. No, but I think I think Sean, that do you, goes. Do you know what I'm talking I th- about? I actually think that goes back to what Sean was saying earlier about Kindergarten Cop is that that was the beginning of the R-rated, you know, violent action hero starting to appeal to the family audience, and now, with the exception of the occasional John Wick, which certainly doesn't do the business that a film like Mission Impossible does. The really successful films have to be aimed at a, at, at a family appropriate yeah. audience is what I'm trying to say. So I think yeah. the super violent action hero is kind of a relic of the past because there isn't as much money anymore. And that's why you find it in, in films like this. And that's why Scott Adkins is not as big as Van Damme and Lundgren were back in the nineties because that market isn't there theatrically anymore. Well, and and something else, I mean, going back to kind of what we were talking about earlier about how this film is so completely different from the original, something else that Hyams is doing here with this one, and again, people are really either going to love or hate. Yeah. If you're a fan of the original, yeah. you're probably really going to, you're not going to like this, but something else that Hyams does here is he is making Luke Devereaux the hero from the previous Universal Soldier films. He's making him essentially the primary villain, at least so we think. And I will say, now, that is a bold move to turn the known hero and the actor who always plays the hero, especially in a particular franchise, into such a menacing villain. I mean, I remember back in the 90s, you know, when I I read comic books, there was a, uh, there was a, it wasn't even a story arc, but there was a really bold move in in DC Comics, if you ever read uh, the Green Lantern comic series, there was a, a thing where um, they brought in a new Green Lantern and they made the traditional Green Lantern, Hal Jordan, yeah. they made him the villain. Yeah. And I remember, I distinctly remember this, it pissed off a lot of comic book fans. And it even started like this huge, it, it was before really the, the, the growth of the internet, but it started this huge campaign where fans were mailing in their um, uh, disagreements with this, uh, with this particular move. And, I mean, I, I guess I can go both ways on it. I, I will say I think it is a bold move. I think it is clever, and it's certainly keeping the franchise on its toes. But at the same time, it's kind of like, man, you you want to make the hero suddenly the main villain? Like, that's that's some moxie. That's some boss like right it. there. I like it. Yeah, no, that. I really like it because it's – it's it's well, I like it probably because it's just – I think it's the reverse of what they did between Terminator and Terminator 2. Uh, you know, I think there's – it's a similar move. But it's just it's it's in reverse, and and you hesitated there, Sean, when you said uh, Jean Claude at least were led to believe that he's the villain, and I'm not sure he is. I think if you if you study the film not not even too carefully, I think he says it quite explicitly at the end, and the way he acts at the end, he's still got that Unisol programming. He's going to fight if there's a fight on, you know, and he is that he is the Luke Devereux that we see in the cafe who just suddenly. In in regeneration, that gets that red mist and just beats up that guy who's coming towards them, and and actually we still I still you still don't know, it's left unanswered like who that guy was. Maybe he you know they come in afterwards, and again I'm sorry I'm talking about the film from your previous episode, but he he beats that guy up in the cafe with with his doctor therapist person there, and then the next scene or a few scenes later, th- these guys are coming in to like. Busting into his home and and kidnapping him uh, to like induct him back into the Unisol program to to go after uh, this the Andre the Pitbull character, you know the NGU and it's like this he is he is 
throughout the, all the films, he's got this sort of reluctant thread, the Luke Devereux character. He's trying desperately to hold on to some semblance of his humanity. And you see at the end of Regeneration, he just loses it. He just gets up and runs away and says, I'm going off. On, it's, it's the sign to say, I'm going off on my own. So the next time you see me, I'm going to, I'm going to have my own fucking army and I'm, you yeah. know, he, he, he takes over the, he takes over a sort of a rogue faction of the Unisol program. And I, I think it's a brilliant telling of the story. Like I, I really enjoy the original film, Regeneration and Day of Reckoning. In terms of storytelling, I think that, and even the evolution, even the different styles and how Regeneration bridges the original and Day of Reckoning, I think, and, and with the ending as well, where it goes, it's you take, this is me just nerding out completely, Sean. You, you take the idea and the concept and you push it further and further. And the ending of Regeneration, it, uh, sorry, the ending of Day of Reckoning is probably one of my most satisfying endings in a franchise that I've ever come across. I, I, I was so satisfied by the ending. Uh, it all made sense to me. All these questions I had fit in. I don't know. That's that's the feeling I get, and I'm wondering if you guys, either of you, feel the same. Well, I think the the point about making Van Damme the antagonist, the villain, really, is uh, it's more interesting to go that route than to carry on having Andrew Scott as the psychopathic cult leader, because yeah, he's like the beater now. Yeah, exactly, and and so his rival yeah. is now his master, and I think there's shades of that yeah. in Dolph Lundgren's. Yeah performance as well like when he gives that speech and mentions the day of it's reckoning so good there is a little bit of it looks like regret or something there, there's some conflict in him there and if he was playing the role that jean-claude is is you mean when it goes off and you see jean-claude regret in dolph's face or when he goes off and you see jean-claude like he's he's got his head no in no, his no 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 in, in dolph Lundgren's face like, because he's rallying yeah. the troops for this for this cult leader and they're all throwing their you know fists in the air and he doesn't look like he's actually 100% into it, I think, anyway. Maybe I'm just reading into it. Uh, maybe he was just tired that day. I don't know. But um... yeah. well, I think yeah. he's, spouting, <laughs> he's spouting the rhetoric he's always wanted to spout. And he's almost like a – he is like a, a mouthpiece for a yeah. cause, you know. And I think, and, and I think that Luke, the Luke Devereux character, it shows his brilliance as a kind of – as a leader to say, you know, I – I'm not entirely sure what his mission is, what Luke Devereux's mission is. I think he's just doing something that relates somewhat to his programming as a unisol and in part, and also relates to his sense of freedom and family and, and ending this. Thing. Yeah, I think they were going to they were the gonna weird thing create is, an army yeah. to strike back at the people who turned them into these soldiers. But, but he realized at a certain point in the fight, and correct me if I'm reading this wrong, there's, he says there's always going to be a John. And he realized that l leaving him to be free, the Scott, the Scott Adkins John character, that's the, he's, he's won. Because he's through whatever he did to him. Like, it's a weird set of circumstances. They deprogram him, and then the plumber tries to kill him. You, you know, the pit bull guy. Do you know what I mean? It's like this. Yeah. I, I found that I found it confusing, but at the same time quite thrilling, because I'm constantly guessing. Even though I'd seen it before, I'd forgotten the plot, and I was constantly guessing what's going on. Who's this FBI guy? 
realizing he's actually like a handler of some kind as he's putting the pieces together. And it, it's, it's so satisfying to me. And I don't think, I honestly don't think that Luke Devereaux is a, a, a villain in this. He's painted as one, but I think he's the same Luke Devereaux hero that we saw in Universal Soldier. I don't think the character is is different i think is that is too different i think we've seen an evolution of the guy he's become different but i think we've seen a a a coherent evolution of the guy that we saw in the original movie because of if you take stock of what's happened to him yeah i think we i think we take stock of the things that have happened the way obviously the film is told quite literally at a lot of points from john scott atkins point of view so we have to believe that Jean-Claude is the villain because his memory is that this guy killed his family. You Correct. Might be... And he even says yeah, it, doesn't think... he? He's, yeah. He says, if you believe I killed your family, I did. Exactly. Yeah. So by the time you get to the end, yeah. yeah, you're probably right. He's maybe not as much of a villain. But I think that's, again, you know, one of the interesting things that Hayam does in this film, like by giving you... um, the, He's trying to give you some of the sensory input that John has by... It's almost like a scene from Memento when he goes back to that house and he's remembering exactly. his wife's neck exactly. and all of that. And that's the stuff that is non-standard that I think is really interesting in this film. And I don't think it's 100% yeah. successful. I think the film is too long and too slow in a lot of places. But his references mm. um, as a filmmaker are not really action films. I think there's a bit of John Woo in the in the sort of artificial... Right. Uh, one shot take at, at the end when Adkins is just destroying fools. Yeah. But really, his his references in this film are <laughs> destroying fools. Um, the Manchurian <laughs> Candidate. Uh, there's a there's a bit of yeah. The Shining in the middle, and uh, certainly yeah. at the end, Apocalypse Now. And if if you look at what those, I don't yeah. think those are just idle references. You know, the, the, nods. The, yeah, they're not just little nods. Right, the no. Manchurian. The, they're the central. Man- They're central. The Manchurian yeah. Candidate is about a totalitarian government takeover using war heroes as biological robots for politically motivated yeah. assassinations. Yeah, yeah. Totally. The shining totally. uh, ghosts of the past driving the haunted to commit mindless murder. And then Apocalypse Now, yeah. you have these AWOL soldiers now serving a messianic cult leader. Uh, and the government that they once worked for is hunting them down with extreme prejudice. These are. You know, very cine literate references that Holmes is making, and it it's it's strange in a way actually that it is actually satisfying as an action film because I don't think he's particularly interested in making an action film. Maybe I'm wrong. I think he's interested in making like a political psychodrama, and I'd really like to see him go down that route. I think I think that's why I like but it. The, that is why I like it. Which uh, sorry, which can we just say yeah. this is. This is extremely bold. I mean, I, I think yeah. that's the word that I'm going to keep coming back to. Yeah. But these are all bold decisions that you would not necessarily see in a Universal Soldier film. I mean, let, let, let's just say that you yeah. would not see these kind of uh, these kind of creative touches. And you kind of talked about it already, Ben. But yeah, it is very clear that they're turning the Luke Devereaux character into a yeah. Colonel Kurtz here. I mean, because. What we later find out is, I mean, you guys already kind of touched upon it, but yeah, Devereaux has started this uh, this separatist military group that's composed of Universal Soldiers. What he's doing is he's pretty much taking them in and providing them with, with what is it? It's a serum that essentially breaks them free from their government control and allows them to uh, think for themselves, yeah. um, which is ironic considering they're all following 
Luke so they're they're potentially all they're potentially all NGUs. Yes, yeah, I think that, so. Do, would yeah. you take? Do you have that reading? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And whereas in the original Universal Soldier film, he was just a an innocent Vietnam soldier who just uh, wanted to go home. Here, he's this. Uh, they're they're playing him as this uh, this higher power deity who all the zombie soldiers look look to for salvation and wisdom. And what's also interesting, again, Ben, I agree with you completely. I love the fact that they are making Luke Debrow's second in command now Andrew Scott, who was his mortal enemy from the first one. And we can assume that Luke Debrow has also turned Andrew Scott, who, like we said, is now fighting alongside Luke and helping recruit these wayward Universal Soldiers. Obviously, this is just another uh, clone, yeah. seeing as how Luke Devereaux blew the, blew it was the amazing. head off the last How amazing. God. Like, I want to hear, uh, Sean, I want to hear what you have to say about Dolph's deaths in this franchise. <laughs> I mean, he, oh he just God. gets his, the most amazing oh, deaths. His death in this is awesome. His deaths are it's amazing. Insane. And actually, and before, before he even gets this death, I mean, again, like I said earlier, Dolph is only in yeah. three scenes in this film. He's in the scene in the brothel. He's in the scene where he gives this speech, and then he get he's in the scene, um, the final fight against Atkins. Yeah. But before we get to that that fight against Atkins, what's cool is I love that speech, and I was gonna play a scene. Cool. Or I was gonna play that speech here here in a minute. Great. But what's cool about that speech that he gives the soldiers, it's it's weirdly uh, prophetic in a lot of ways because yeah. he gives it's almost kind of like this televangelical speech that uh, never once it's it's really kind of cool because it, if you notice. He never once mentions Luke Devereaux by name, no. and he keeps referring to him as he. Just he, as yeah, if him, Luke yeah. Is this, yeah, almost as if Luke Devereaux is His this name is power. Robert Paulson. Again, His name is Robert well, Paulson. <laughs> again, this is bold. This is yeah, bold. Definitely. My brothers, let's not forget the moment of sickness. Our thoughts interrupted by unfamiliar voices. We were merely arms and legs, moving to the directive of another mind. But in an instant, the veil was lifted. And today, brothers, I stand here and declare, your minds are now your own. Each and every one of us, bred into slavery, superior our creators, they gave us nothing, nothing inside, but the void in our soul, the curse that binds us together for brothers. But then he came along. He turned the curse into a blessing. He is the inspiration. He's the light that set us free. We his eyes and ears, and soon we shall multiply ten, twenty, hundredfold! We, pioneers, will spawn the first generation to be blessed with free will, taking vengeance upon those whose arrogance once assumed our servitude. With each passing day, we grow stronger, digging deeper into the outside world, Unnoticed, we live among them like ghosts, biding our time, waiting for the moment when our oppressors shall be forced to kneel before us and 
pay for their sins. The day of reckoning. I, it's, and but that I think therein lies the problem. I think. It's, it, who is this film really for? Uh, obviously, it's for us three, but I don't think your average Universal <laughs> Soldier fan is, is going to come out that satisfied by this necessarily because I do think it has pacing problems. It is too weird. It is provocative, you know, in, in its filmmaking style and in the content. But I really admire that because what Hyams is doing is he's taking the established brand, the established name recognition and trying to evolve it and trying to take it somewhere else. And uh, I don't know. I, I think it's better to to swing and maybe miss a little than to just do another old retread. I, I agree. I mean, I the way I'm seeing this is like Batman Forever versus Dark Knight. Uh, Batman Begins. Let's mm. say that. Yeah. That that's how I see this. It's like if you were if you were a Batman Forever fan in whenever it was nineteen ninety five. It's like, and that and you like that kitschy stuff. You might even like the Arnie one. I can't remember what it's Batman called. Now. Batman and Robin is that it? Yeah. It's like you might even like that one. It's like fine. I, I'm not going to get into it now. But if that is the Batman that you like, you will be disappointed by by B- Batman Begins or the, the Nolan trilogy. Yeah, you, it's not going to do the same thing for you but if you're a kid then and you're looking for something a bit more adult you might actually say yeah you know what i like this darker spin on it and i and that's how i'm experiencing this with with the unit the unisol uh franchise here because uh, and i again the thing that i'm enjoying more about it isn't that just oh yeah i get to see another universal soldier movie like even though i'm a fan of the first one and I get to see one maybe with better production values and that's not as crappy as the other ones, which I had, I had seen them all already. Um, it, it's, it's, it's that the character, I think that even as much as you two are saying, I'm sorry to sound like a broken record, that it's such a departure from the original. I don't see a bad evolution of the characters. I see them as a natural progression of. You put these guys through this, through these paces and you put them in this universe. This is what's going to happen. I see Andrew Scott, the Dolph character, as finally living out his dream. Like, this is what he always wanted. This is what he became in Vietnam. And Vietnam was like an unleashing of him. And he was never allowed to fully unleash as this prophetic, you know, speechifying uh, maniac. And Luke, Luke Devereux just literally set him free. And I think if there's a theme in this, in the, not necessarily regeneration, but in day of reckoning, it is saying, you know, like you're you're a slave, you know, be, set your mind free. I'm not trying to go all matrix on you guys, but do you, do you get do you get what I'm trying to say? That there's that if you unleash these characters and you let them be completely free, this is this is what they become. They're sort of like this natural. There's a, a natu- it, they descend into some kind of natural order. So you get the alphas and the betas and there's some kind of evolution and. I think that that's exactly what Luke Devereux realizes when he says, when he concedes and he realizes, oh, he's achieved his mission. He's that smart. He's that clever. These are enhanced soldiers. They also have intelligence. And for me, that he, he doesn't care anymore about life. He doesn't care about really about the life of his troops. He cares about the mission. And when he realizes that John's going to actually complete his mission for him, he concedes. He's just like, yeah, you're going to, you're going to go ahead and, and do that. And, 
he takes over the Unisol program and then it's certainly a, a fascinating note to end yeah. on when when he just stops fighting like Luke just stops fighting and he yeah. says the fight never ends there's always another job that's a yeah. that's a really interesting and you know the coda of him f- uh, going and finding is it Gorman Agent Gorman or whatever I, I kind of want to see the next film Perfect. now I want to you know I do want there to be yes. another one but yes. but. That's my I point. guess the yeah. issue with that as a franchise is that there isn't really a, a, a requirement for there to be Andrew Scott and Luke Devereaux in the story anymore. Their stories have ended. Now it's about Scott Adkins. I don't mind. Yeah, Scott Adkins can can yeah. take over. Surely. How do you feel about that idea, Sean? That the 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 torch can be passed from uh, uh, Dolph and uh, Jean Claude onto. Scott Adkins is like he's now the Universal Soldier. Do, how do you feel about that? You know, I I, I loved it. I mean, yeah. and, and if anybody could do it, and if anybody should do it, I think it's Scott Adkins much more so than a Matt Taglia. <laughs> right. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> don't even do. But <laughs> poor Matt. Yeah, I mean, and we see this. Uh, you know, supposedly a a Creed three yeah. is in the works, ah. and they're going to be doing that without <laughs> without Sylvester Stallone, and so. I mean, you know, it's 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 a delicate balance, and you you kind of wonder, okay, well, should they do another movie if there are if if there really aren't any real central figures or characters for, that you know from the original to to continue this? I mean, I think it can be done, you know, um, with the uh, with with the right writing. You know, I, I think I, again, I, and I, I hate to keep going back to this, but while it is such a bold direction, and it is you know, such a creative um, angle to take this particular film. As I was watching it, you know, what, what's really interesting is, okay, if you take a look, for example, at the Terminator <laughs> franchise, okay, yeah. when I go into... What? I, the what franchise? Termin- Never yeah. heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> when, I, when I go into a, a, a new Terminator film, a new okay. Terminator sequel, I know, I know when I go into it, okay, yes, it's, it's probably going to take place in a new locale. There's probably going to be a new villain here. You know, um, I know that it is going to employ something new. However, in the end, I know that it is going to have that, (laughs) you know, it's going to have that that iconic theme. And I know that somewhere in the third act, we're going to see Arnold and he's going to be tattered and his face is going to, his face is going to have that, you know, it's going to be half Arnold, half endoskeleton. Same thing with a Rambo movie. I know going into a Rambo movie, Granted, in this in, in the latest one, he may be battling a Mexican cartel. He may be, you know, going to Afghanistan. But I know at the end of the day that he is going to, at some point, have his yeah. signature bow and arrow and a big knife. I see and what you're saying. We're gonna get I see he's probably going to rip a, 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 an organ out of somebody's yeah. body with his bare hands. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Exactly. No, I, I know that going yeah. in. And so, and that's, I think, my issue with this particular film is John Hyams is saying, yeah. nope, yeah, I'm not going to do any of that. Screw you, fans. Okay. No, you know, I, 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 think, I concede. Of course, that's, of yeah. course that's true. You know, and, and yeah, I mean, we didn't even get, correct me if I'm wrong, yeah, we didn't even get the eyepieces or anything like that in, did no. we? No, we had them drilled into no. the skull yeah. in regeneration, didn't we? That was horrific. Um, yeah, no, I, I concede that point. You're absolutely right. And I, I know I'm, I'm, I keep going on about how I feel like this is a, a natural progression in terms of fans. Yeah, that's definitely what's going on. It is conscious. Uh, there's no, there's no way no one told him, like, you know, you're going to piss off the fans. Like, 
Yes. He, yeah. Yeah. He knew. Like he, he totally knew. But again, he had the pull, and he's an art. He's an auteur. Yeah, he's an yeah. artist. He had the pull to do this. I mean, and you know, you were saying earlier regarding Batman and Robin. Batman and Robin is is charted as being the where the series pretty much uh, stalled. Yeah. Or, or excuse me, <laughs> it, it's charted as being the film that yeah. stalled that entire franchise. And by all accounts. It is terrible. <laughs> However, I, I will say I, I will go to bat a bit for Joel Schumacher, because mm -hmm. if you take a look at it again, kind of going along with what I said earlier about Tim Burton. OK, he did Batman Forever and Batman Forever turned a huge profit for Warner Brothers. Yeah. And so what Warner Brothers essentially told him is they gave him that creative control yeah. and they said, hey, Joel, do more of that. And so what Joel <laughs> Schumacher did with Batman and Robin yeah. is he did more of that. He applied that more of that same aesthetic, more of that same style, and he made it more his movie. And so while a lot of people like to shit on Batman and Robin, yeah, and again, I, <laughs> I want to stress a lot of that, yeah. a lot of that is deserved. However, it's kind of like, well, you know, you liked it in Batman Forever and Batman yeah. Forever is terrible. It is. But it is. They, everyone liked it at the time. Yeah. And so it's. I'm guilty. I was. I was one like, of them. I was one of them. Yeah. But that's that's you know, bring yeah. it back to this film. Regeneration is more of the standard action film that you expect. It's it's very impressive for what he did on the budget for a director to uh, DVD or director video film, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, shot in Eastern Europe, um, all of that. But it is more like the standard director video action movies that you expect. This isn't. And yet, I don't think there's even a comparison in terms of quality. I think Day of Reckoning is far and above the better film, you know, sort of objectively, just to look at it as a piece of filmmaking. Yeah, so I it's, agree. It's interesting. Like, it's, you know, it's Hyams squared, I guess, is what you're saying. He's, he's been let off the leash with a decent budget. Go and do what you want. But can we, because we haven't really talked about the action that much. I and I wanted to get into that. I wanted to break okay, down all right, the you go, fight you go for it. That's my take it. Oh my god! Oh my god! I don't think well, I'm ready. Okay, so, I'm not ready for this. <laughs> and, and we haven't covered a major plot point, but through some digging, we find out that uh, John Scott Atkins, Scott Atkins' character, he finds out that he is a clone himself. Yeah, and he has been repeatedly cloned as part of the government's Universal Soldier program. They have created this false reality for him, including the memories of his wife and child and their death, to spur him into seeking out Luke Devereaux and then killing him because Devereaux obviously poses a threat to their organization due to the separatist army that he is leading. What's really interesting. I don't know if you guys saw it or picked up on this, but this is exactly, this is pretty much the exact same plot as, uh, this year's. Yes. I did. I didn't make that connection, but you're absolutely right. Neither did I. Yeah. Same exact plot. Yeah. Both released by Sony. So I don't think yeah. there were too many, uh, battles and litigation there. Um, right. but okay. So once John finds this out about himself, he gets multiple fights. Let's break these down. The first real fight. I love this one. I, th I think actually this fight is probably the shining achievement in the film. He is being pursued by Andre Olavs, uh, Andre Olavsky's character. Um, yeah. we get a really cool car chase that is amazingly shot. I think considering the film's budget and it, culminates in an absolutely brutal fight that takes place inside a sporting goods store. Mm -hmm. I love this because nothing is off limits as this scene. Oh, it's in, in this scene. Yeah. I mean, 
they are using all of the weapons in this sporting goods store, including, I wrote these down, weights, baseball bats, and my personal favorite, medicine balls. I <laughs> yeah. love the scene of Scott Atkins punching the medicine ball and it just exploding into yeah. dust. Yeah. This is, I think, out of all the scenes in the film, this is probably the best. Oh, I, I look at it scene. and, uh, no, sorry, I don't look at it. I imagine someone like Scott Atkins looking at a Jackie Chan film and saying, it's, you know, brilliant choreography and all of that, but you'd be dead in 10 seconds if you got hit with all that stuff. And they've put that on film of like, what would be the damage to a human being if you used everything in a room? Yeah. And uh, yeah. they can get away with it because they're super soldiers. But I think, uh, yeah. I mean, first of all, you're right. The truck chase is, is cool and gets better as it goes on ending with that great crash. But the fight in the store, I don't think it's... J- it was reminiscent of reminiscent of Terminator, actually, that, that car yeah, chase. Yeah, no, it's not, it's not no. dissimilar, yeah. sure. Um, no. But the fight in the store, it's not just the slickest and toughest fight in the film. Oh, my God. It's I think insane. it's genuinely possibly a career highlight for Scott Atkins, who's a, a it's, very... It's so great. He's a very athletic and, and graceful performer. But in yeah. this scene, he gets more and more powerful as the scene goes on. And he gets a real... Yeah. That, baseball bat fight is really impressive and he's almost a superhero in that scene and then you've got that there's so many money shots like the i love the shot where the the baseball bat is just lobbed at him and he just catches it like it's almost like a 3d shot he catches it pointed towards the camera yeah and then they have the baseball bat fight but yeah punching the i don't know if it's a kettlebell or a medicine ball or whatever it just into it's so cool it's a great great action scene that what I also loved about that uh, about that fight, I mentioned the medicine ball, but if you look at the baseball bat, the, the the part about the baseball bat fight sequence that I love is okay. So once they once they grab the baseball bats and they and they go at it, Atkins finally gets the the upper hand because he is fully leaning into and embracing his uh, his Universal Soldier status. But what's cool about it, I don't know if you picked up on this or not, then, but. When Magnus, the the, uh, the the Arlovsky character, is down on the ground on his knees and he's pretty much gasping for breath, Atkins does this move with the baseball bat where he kind of yeah. he kind of gets cocky with it, where he kind of swings it and twirls yeah, yeah, yeah. it around. Did you notice yeah, that right totally. before he clocked? <laughs> yeah, and that's what I'm saying. I think he he's he is almost reborn in that moment. He's realizing how powerful he is. He realizes his regenerative abilities, and it's him unleashing fully for the first time isn't it and and that's why the scene works as well as it does it's not just a cool fight there's character in amongst all the action and that's what the best action scenes do i think and i don't i actually think it's so, almost a problem for the film because it never quite reaches that height again the, the ending is cool and the one is cool yeah but it's the standout scene for sure for me yeah i mean i i can't believe that you guys have left it for me to say like just he slices Andre's head in half <laughs> like he's using a samurai sword, <laughs> except he's using a baseball bat. Yeah. Like how, how did I get away with being the guy to say that after you guys just talking like that's, that, that's the, that it, whose mouth is not open at the end of this scene. It's the, like, yeah, it's, it's, I'm, it's the relief. I've got my knuckles in my yeah. mouth and I'm saying, fuck, like yeah. what the hell? Like that is, and, and it sh- like, you can't do that. So it's like, like you say, he gets stronger and stronger and stronger. He gets stronger throughout the film. He, we meet the, when we meet this character, he's woken up from a coma, 
we 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 then learn it's like he's just been born like that's what we we learn and um he he's really even like spits up some stuff that's like like a baby spitting up milk it's it's really weird at the beginning yeah. i just realized that at the beginning and um and he le- he's leaving the hospital kind of kind of going along with matrix yes let's tie yeah, it back yeah, to yeah. keanu yeah, if, if you remember there's in matrix, a similarity once uh yeah, when once they they get woken up and they see the reality that they don't they throw exactly. up exactly. Well? He's gonna and, pop. Right? He's gonna pop. Uh, and yeah, and, and no, no, he he's he leaves the hospital with a cane, and then we see him. We see him get more and more powerful throughout the whole film. Uh, and 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 that's you're right, Ben. It's a bit of a peak, um, and the action doesn't stop from that moment on. I think it's like there's 40 minutes left of the film at that point. And it just continues. There's a bit of a pause when he realizes his fingers have grown back and stuff like that. It's just, but it, it's, it, it is a shame. It is a, it's a failing of the film that I don't think that you see a better fight scene afterwards. Arguably the one with Dolph. It's pretty good. Like it's about the same quality. I think it's just not as fun because it's not as innovative. Yeah. And also, you know, when he's fighting Arlovsky, they're, comparable in age um and strength i would say or different styles yeah. when he's fighting dolph you know dolph's 20 30 years older than him so it's obviously going to be different and you see that in the fight that dolph has with arlovsky earlier on in the film let's just say you know we were talking about how beautiful keanu is earlier dolph still looks great he looks fantastic in this film he i does, think yeah. um, oh, you're very handsome still in great shape and he's fighting arlovsky with you know his shirt off and you can still see how ripped he is and it's cool it's a it's a it's a it's all about how powerful he is he's mechanical and powerful whereas scott Atkins is quick and graceful and innovative and that's the different in their difference in their fighting styles so when you you know you get arlovsky and adkins fighting each other you can do a lot more uh than you can when you get adkins and lundgren fighting each other later on in the film well i don't know if you guys noticed this or not but Actually, I listened to the commentary that is uh, that is on the on the Blu-ray for this uh, oh, John cool. Williams and and Dolph uh, lend a commentary to it, and it's really kind of cool because they they break down their fight scene. So um, in the final act of the film, when uh, when John is pretty much storming the Unisol compound that that Deborah was in charge of, after he after John lays waste to <laughs> everyone to yeah. all these uh, these no name yeah to these no name Unisols. He squares off against Dolph, and what's what's wild about this? Okay, so they they're they're fighting in the uh, in the weapons depot of the compound, and I remember listening to the commentary. And what John Hyams wanted to do is he wanted to go from big to small cool. in this fight. And so if you notice it, okay, when they are when they are doing battle in this in this weapons you know storage area, they go from assault rifles. To handguns, to machetes, mm. and then to knives. Yeah. So they literally are going big to small. And yeah. I really liked that. And what's cool about this is because this fight scene is all done with weapons. I mean, there's really not a whole lot of hand-to-hand as opposed to his fight with uh, with Jean-Claude at the end. That one, with the exception of a machete, they do fight over a machete. Oh, that my one God, that's crazy. That's all done pretty much hand-to-hand. But if we look at the fight between Atkins and Dolph, Dolph does finally eat it in the end after <laughs> after John 
plunges. I, I, I wrote this down because I was in disbelief at this. Uh, he plunges one of the machetes up through his jaw oh my God. and head. Another out, out another the, out fine the top death of his head. It's for, insane. Yeah, another fine death for Dolph Lundgren. In the and he's already had a, a bullet death. to the chin at that point, hasn't he? Yeah, the, through his neck. I yeah, think. Went through but his the, neck. There's uh, there's a it's little insane. bit in that that really does call to mind the Andrew Scott of the original movie where um, Adkins shoves a knife through uh, Dolph Lundgren's hand. Yeah. And Lundgren's response yeah. is, that's the spirit soldier. Yeah, and that's it. That's, that's Dolph's best moment in the film for me. It made me smile. It reminded me of why I loved him uh, back in the day anyway, from things like Universal Soldier. He's got a great charisma, I think. And that's what Jean-Claude's performance is missing in this film partly because of his character, but I think also partly because of where he was in his career. And and Lunger and I always get the feeling like loves to lay on the charm a little bit, loves to lay a bit of humor in there. Just going back to that, um, that sort of, it's an artificial one shot take, but it is, you know, a one shotter as um, Scott's going through the compound, killing everyone. That's the moment that reminded me of John Woo uh, specifically the, the hospital shootout at the end of Hard Boiled. But I think there's something interesting in there, going back to what we were talking about earlier, is he's doing a lot of gratuitous headshots in that sequence, and he's doing it in a balletic way that is at least two, if not three years before John Wick got there and did that exact same thing. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say the same point. You were, it's, uh, you were talking about earlier, Sean, about Keanu, like, sort of uh re rebooting sort of action uh uh the action genre and, and taking it in different directions this beat this did beat john wick to this style uh, in in sort of what you might say mainstream but it's not that it didn't exist before the john sure. wick style it's and but you could argue this beat this beat john wick to it but john wick made it popular and does sense. it better there's no question john wick yeah. is you know beautiful yeah. when it comes to this stuff yeah. but i just thought it's curious that you know for someone looking at it now they go oh this is ripping off john wick when actually it's you know it got there first so so here's the thing about here here we are you know reveling in brutal brutal deaths and um i, I think it's something that 90s action needed to save for like the very end because it was like maybe an expensive shot. It's the money shot. It's the it's the it's the one that we're waiting for. Dolph's death at the end of Universal mm. Soldier. It's epic. It's insane. It's like that seems to be the only way you're going to kill this guy. You, you you know you've got this this little Jean Claude Van Damme versus this guy who's juiced up on this psychopathic uh, rage. <laughs> you know, and he just he puts him into some kind of you know baler or harvester or yeah. some some something like that and just shreds him to pieces. And you just think, Oh, how can you ever come back from that? You know? Uh, and then of course you get, you know, cloning is the, that's the thing that saves everyone from it. But I just, I got the, I have just through talking with you guys now, I'm having this idea that like you, you, we lose, we lose that. That's something that we lose this. It's like everyone gets killed in a sort of epic way. And we just get sort of epic death after epic death. And, I'm wondering what impact that has on, you know, the final death or the feel of the film. Does it, does it soften it somehow? Or do we just want more and more of it? Cause we're bloodthirsty maniacs ourselves. You know, what is it that's going on there? 
Well, I, and I, I was going to, to, to kind of answer that question, I was actually going to read a couple of bylines from a couple of the reviews okay. as we, as we close this up here, here momentarily. But before, before we get there, I mean, and we've already, we've already talked about um, Atkins fight with Luke Devereaux at the end, but um, I'll just quickly uh, recap it for us. So as where the Atkins Lundgren battle was mostly with weapons here, again, this fight is mostly hand to hand with a machete being intermittently used. Uh, Jean-Claude is sporting a wild look here. We've already mentioned that. And again, another interesting uh, narrative and artistic choice. Devereaux, he basically gives up the fight. He allows John to kill him. Really kind of cool because he sees that there's going to be no end to this never-ending cycle. And it's almost kind of uh, it's almost kind of cool because he looks at John as being a uh, worthy successor. And so that is why he allows John to plunge that machete in him. Um, I will admit it. I think the reason why the, the fight looks cool is because it's shot cool. Mm. But again, I don't, I don't think that uh, Jean-Claude was really on set for, for much of this fight. This is no. pretty much Atkins fighting well, this, a this, stunt double. There's yeah. a couple of things so, there. It's, it's again, going back to the, the decision to make Devereaux the antagonist in this. Jean-Claude doesn't like to lose fights on camera, and there was a lot of toing and froing with the production on this about how exactly he would lose a fight to, to um, Scott Adkins and yet still save face. So I wonder how much of the construction of that fight came out of that discussion. But at the same time, apparently he was arguing with Scott Adkins, who's uh, you know an accomplished fighter, absolutely, but predominantly a screen yeah. fighter, uh, arguing with him, yeah. saying, you know, these kind of wild punches you're throwing, that's not what would happen in a fight. And I, I just wonder, really? because Scott Atkins is a very respectful and polite person, that he would never have said this. But yeah. I wonder how much he might have been thinking, you know what, Jean-Claude, not many people do the splits in the middle of a fight. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't think um, yeah. I don't think that fight is anywhere near as memorable, actually, as the two fights that you see. Lundgren in. Um, and I'm not just saying that because we're on the Dolph Lundgren podcast. I think the thing that stands out about Thank you. Um, Jean-Claude <laughs> in this film is the, the, the trippy, ghosty sequences and and his weird look. But I couldn't really tell you any moments in that fight with Adkins other than the final moment where he surrenders and, and has that line. So, and with uh, with Devereaux being, I mean, he's he's now out of the franchise. He's been killed. I guess they could clone him. Since yeah. they established that there is a cloning technique, so yeah. I guess he, you know, is is not really dead. Um, but the film ends with John obtaining the necessary cloning equipment so that he can take over and lead the uh, the separatists group and then take on the government. And so the yeah, the film really ends on a cliffhanger. Um, unfortunately, we have not seen a sequel and we have not seen where uh, it could go. Um, but you know, it, it, it's it's wild because. I, I went online in preparation for this, and I just pulled out a couple of the bylines on this film. Because, again, people, fans, whoever is watching this film, they either really love this movie or they hate it. And so mm. a couple of the lines, if we take a look at some of the reviews, these are some of the positive reviews, okay, that I just highlighted. Um, They said that the film, quote, just radiates menace. They say um, the entire film series, especially this one, 
um, takes a lot of creative risks as it goes along. So they found that memorable. Um, they said the entire film has a quote unquote mesmeric, unreal quality where things can turn on a dime and they often do. However, if you take a look at the negative reviews for the film, yeah. they said that the film is hyper-violent, grim. They said, uh, someone from Entertainment Weekly said that the film is so gruelingly violent that you half wonder if the director is, if his goal is to make the audience get up and leave the theater rather than be a party to the brutality. Um, it's also been called mean-spirited, joyfully violent. And then um, someone from the New York Daily News said that the film is bound to leave you shell-shocked purely at the uh, at the movie's brutal violence. So I guess I have to ask you guys, did you guys find this film enjoyable? I know we've kind of danced around this, mm -hmm. but is the film enjoyable to you guys? I like Chico. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, it's very fascinating. I'm really glad that you pulled you know, those interview, those um, reviews, uh, because hearing you say them out loud um, kind of galvanized quite nicely and my feelings uh, about this film, but films, films like this. And I, my views have changed o over the years and I go back and forth on it. Um, but currently I'm in a phase of where I would, I agree with both those sets of reviews. I think, I think that they're all correct. Uh, everything that was said is correct. Uh, I, with a slight caveat of, I don't think that that's the director's goal uh, is to make people leave the cinema. I think that review is being f funny or glib or, or sarcastic. Um, uh, but potentially there's some truth in that, in that with the, the it's, it's, it's so obviously brutal the violence in this and, and forgive me for making the point so many times, Sean, uh, I hope it's not, doesn't ruin, <laughs> you know, the, the thread of the discussion, but it feels, it feels real. It's taken a concept to, for me and said, this is what it would actually be like, you know, death and killing and, and soldiering. And it's not nice. It's not pretty. And it seems like the director has said that and gone, oh, you think this is fun. He, this is what, this is what it would be like if, you had a group of soldiers who have who are cloned, implanted memories. They're, they're dogs. They're even referred to as dogs at one point, and they have that kind of hierarchical pack structure. Um, uh, you know, the the when an alpha is present, the the beaters all they avert their gaze, and it's very, it's 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 been you know that aspect of uh, mammalian culture has been uh, uh, clearly studied or looked at, or at least at least referenced by the writer and director of this film. And I, I, I think it's, although it's not pleasant to watch, it's not enjoyable uh, in many respects. It's not, you, you can't, you can't say, yeah, that's fun. I, I really like, I really like seeing it. I think it's a accurate telling of what a world, a universe where this kind of thing is going on, what it, what it would be like. And, and arguably there's something worse for me, uh, from a moral standpoint, of putting the the kitsch, cheesy spin on on this kind of warfare, um, and so I, I'm in two minds. I hope I'm, I've made it clear about whether or not this is enjoyable. I enjoy it for the commentary it's making on violence. Then that's I do think that's what it's doing. Um, I don't enjoy watching everything that I saw on screen, uh, but I think I, I, I think that it's making a point 
perhaps too subtly. Uh, I, I think it's a good movie <laughs> uh, because of because of all the things we've already said. Um, and uh, but for my own personal enjoyment, I, I think I can go without seeing another movie like this for uh, an, another eight, seven to eight years, which is how long it's been since I've seen this. I don't think I need to see films like this very often to remind me how wrong and how brutal this kind of violence is. And I do think it was treated well. I think the story does does tell us it does tell us this story and there is still that you know 15 15 year old in me who who thinks yeah that's fucking cool when somebody's head gets knocked off with a baseball bat so i've got these mixed feelings of this like i can access that part of me but then the realism of this film makes me second guess my enjoyment of the violence so yeah so i hope that wasn't too long-winded an answer but and i hope it does answer your question yeah Ben, I'll, I'll go to you. Do you find this movie uh, enjoyable? And what do you think? Would you give it a recommend at the end? Of the um, day? Yeah, enjoyable is a really difficult word. I think when it comes to the violence, I would simply say, look at the films that Hyams is referencing, Apocalypse Now, The Shining, Manchurian Candidate. Do you find the violence in a Kubrick film and a Coppola film enjoyable, or does it serve a higher purpose? That's the comparison. You can't compare the violence in this to the original Universal Soldier movie, which is glamorizing you know, gore, fun for our entertainment. The violence in this is ugly and difficult. There are other things in the film that are also difficult to watch. I mentioned the stroboscopic sequence, uh, obviously the torture of a family and then the death of a child. So enjoyable is a really difficult word. I admire it. I, I think it's really interesting that John Hyams swung for the fences. I think he succeeded a lot more than he failed. And I think if you can go in with the mindset that this isn't first and foremost an action film, but it does contain some very impressive action sequences, it's absolutely a recommendation. Uh, I think these the, the sort of higher um, stuff, that the, the more aspirational stuff that Hyams is going for, he's not 100% successful in. And I hope that he gets another opportunity to do something more like The Manchurian Candidate uh, than a standard DTV action movie. But I do like the film a lot, and I think it's got some of the best sequences in the franchise. I think it's probably my second favorite in the franchise behind the original because I still like guilt-free, gory action films. Yeah, so, so okay, I have to ask you now then, okay, uh, as a Dolph Lundgren film, where where do you guys stand? Would you recommend it on that That's front as well? a trickier proposition because I think he is, I think he's great <laughs> in the film. But like you said, he's in it for maybe yeah. five minutes. So if you're sitting down to watch a Dolph Lundgren yeah. film, this ain't it. I think if you're a Dolph completist yeah. and you want to see him in a couple of good fight scenes and having some fun, definitely a recommendation. If you want to see a really good Dolph Lundgren performance, go and watch Creed 2 instead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I have to say and, and- the same thing as Ben for for Dolph. Um, but also, I don't know, Sean, if, you do, if you're doing star ratings in terms of recommendations, um, I... I, I don't know if it matches everything I said, but I, I give this, I'll give this three and a half stars. Like it doesn't quite get to four stars for me uh, because it, it wasn't as much fun as I would have wanted it to be. Uh, the plot isn't sophisticated enough for me to get really into it. Although I do really like the twists it takes. It keeps you guessing. Uh, and, but yeah, it's not, it, it's not a doll film. It's not a, a JCVD film either. It's not, it's, it's they're, they're incidental to the film. It's a Scott Atkinson, yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and and Ben, I have to ask you real quick, uh, quickly. You, you uh, we we touched upon it earlier, so I'm just curious on your thoughts. You mentioned Cree too, which I think has a fantastic yeah. Dolph Lundgren performance. But I have to ask, okay, assuming they do a Creed three, how are you going to feel if they do another what is ostensibly a Rocky movie without Rocky? How do you feel about that? Yeah, I had some mixed feelings about it. I, I think the um... I think it's time. I think, you know, Michael P. Jordan certainly has done enough to prove <laughs> he's the star of the franchise and he is a megastar. Uh, the thing that really won me over, because I love the Rocky films and I love Stallone. Do I want to see a Creed 3? Not sure if there's a story to tell, but they are giving it to Michael no. P. Jordan to direct. And that really excites me. Whoa. Yeah, so, Whoa. yeah. Um, yeah. I'm quite happy to see a Creed film without Rocky in it. I just hope they find a story. That's all. Yeah, I agree. I think I think a lot of the heavy work is going to be in terms of the writing on that one. But with regard to this one, Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning, I'll get my recommend out of the way. Yeah. I, I do think, you know, I look at this. This is actually my third time seeing this. I I, I, I saw it when it first came out. I remember I, I ponied up ten ninety nine to read this <laughs> on On Demand because it was one of those uh, high-profile on-demand releases. Um, I, I watched it again when I bought the Blu-ray because being a Dolph completist, I, I had to own it for my collection. And then I watched it again for, for this viewing so many years later. Um, you know, I will say, I think this is an interesting one to look at. It is artsy. It is surreal. It is avant-garde and unique. And these are all characteristics that you don't normally see in an action film starring Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren. Uh, even though they are in, you know, only uh, maybe 10 minutes total of this entire film, you know, they, these are just not things that you would see in one of their movies. So I will say, because it is attempting something new, and it is siphoning off into a new direction, I think it's notable for those reasons. Plus, it's a real showcase for Scott Atkins, who is easily, I think, one of the best and hardest working actors mm -hmm. in the genre today. Um, Having said all that, <laughs> boy, this is a very violent and unsettling spectacle, which which is weird hearing from, you know, me, considering some of the other uh, movies that, that that I've reviewed on the show. Um, but this is this is violence at a at a whole other level. And I think it's certainly going to disturb the casual viewer. Um, and it's going to probably alienate fans of the original Universal Soldier film. Um, even fans of Jean-Claude Van Damme, I think, are going to be a little turned off, considering his character is in stark contrast with the original Luke Devereaux. You know, uh, I, I will say real quick, on my uh, previous episode, uh, David Ullman, who joined me for Regeneration, he was turned off by that film because he was a fan of Jean-Claude Van Damme from the Bloodsport yeah. to Time Cop era. And if you looked at Jean-Claude Van Damme in that era, he was just a charming charismatic guy who was yeah. constantly smiling in his yeah. films, you know what I mean? And then if you go into a film like Regeneration, where he is barely even speaking, I think he even used the term, his, his <laughs> lids are half closed, and then you go to this film, yeah. fans of Jean-Claude Van Damme, I will say, are not going to enjoy this film. Um, not just because of, you know, his lack of screen time, but just because of how dark this is. So I think if you know all of that going in, then I think there might be something of interest here um, the film is is maybe not enjoyable, but certainly I would say an experiment that is commendable for everyone jumping on board for and taking part in. Well said. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, very well said. And it's certainly a 
I think it's a boon for the action genre, you know, to to have a film like this. And I think it does lay the ground for taking for taking violence in different directions. And and I I do think that um, the more sophisticated commentary is there if you're looking for it. Um, but if you, it's it's an interesting point I think all three of us have made in in different ways uh, that it's actually the older films that glorify violence, not not films yeah. like this. Uh, I think this shows that films like this show the consequences. Yeah, of it's violence. not. This is not a cartoon. Uh, is, That's yeah. what it's not. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, and it's a weird. No. Uh, I do yeah, find it a weird. A yeah. yeah, I do find it a weird take that somebody would see this and say it glorifies violence. I think the the opposite. It shows the consequences. Um, uh, and yet yeah. it is being put on screen and and being shown in a way that could be argued glorifies. Uh, why do we need to watch this kind of thing? It's like, but in every other action film, it's sanitized. So, uh, what do you want? Is what would be my, my my comment to anyone saying is like, if you if you you can't. I don't think you can have your cake and eat it when you're talking about the rightness or wrongness of, of portraying this kind of violence on screen. Like, uh, and, and I do, I'm in two minds. Like I, there's sometimes I'm watching things that are saying, should I, should I be watching this? Is this something I should actually be mm-hmm. looking at? I don't know if I want to, you know, and I mean, I'm at that stage in my life where I'm, I'm seriously contemplating whether I should be, like skipping certain things and not really watching these kinds of things anymore because I've understood more and more as I've got older, the consequences of these things. And that is a large part of what the Ornithology brand is. Uh, if you don't mind me make, making a, a reference to that, uh, Sean. It, it, yeah, it, I was, was going to have you guys plug your show actually well, here in a minute. Well, so. to, to, I don't know if this is a, if this is a plug for it, but it's certainly something that we noticed in Arnie's career uh, we talked about uh, Dolph and uh, Jean Claude. How they've had to take on these roles. There aren't there aren't the action films that that existed in the nineties. They're not being made. And in Arnie's career, charts that very well. In terms of we see Last Action Hero really being a farewell, like goodbye. Like the film itself was made and shot in a way that is actually saying these types of action films are gone. They're over. They're dead. And and you can even see like Planet Hollywood, its its success and failure as being evidence of this is action stardom at its peak. And you know you want to buy into this and come and have this restaurant experience with all the props surrounding you. Like here you go, come to Planet Hollywood. And then it fails. Like a few years later, they sold they sold it. I think really quickly. Uh, they didn't want to have anything to yeah. do with it. And it's interesting that Arnie was aligning himself not with the if you want the foreigner action heroes like Dolph and JCVD, although he had some affiliation with them, he actually aligned himself with the Americans. Uh, I, th- I think that's an interesting move as far as Arnie's concerned. And, and Arnie himself struggled to find his place again in cinema. And I'd, I'd argue that a film like Maggie is Arnie's regeneration, if you want. It, it's, it's, it's not, I mean, it's not an action film, but just in terms of, this 90s action hero superstar trying to do something that's more contemporary and seeing how he fits in a world like that and and all the reasons why you said you'd be disappointed as a Dolph fan or a JCBD fan or even a Universal Soldier fan I think the same thing applies for I think any aging icon um and Keanu too like it's a question that we we address uh, when we look at uh, the Bill and Ted 
at the latest Bill and Ted installment of do we get what Bill and Ted fans want from a Bill and Ted movie? The answer is yes. And I think it's something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> there you go. Don't don't listen to the episode. Well, <laughs> and I remember going back through your archive, and I remember listening to your um your review of mm. Sabotage, right? With uh, with Arnold. Yeah, that's and that's yeah, better I mean, than Maggie. Sorry, you got it. That's the one. Yeah, yeah, no, but no, I agree. I think Maggie is as well. But yeah, you know, with regard example. to sabotage, yeah. I mean, sabotage is just—I mean, it is yeah. so vulgar, and it is so insanely violent yeah. and just um, very, yeah. very mean-spirited, like like this film as well. And so, yeah, you watch it, and it's almost kind of shell shocking in a way because you watch it and you're thinking, "Wow, like this is the darkest Arnold has ever gone," and, it, and it that's is, saying yeah. something considering. In a film like Commando, he kills like two hundred people. Yeah, it's so, that's <laughs> and, the point. And, and yeah. that's so weird. Is just so just so mean spirited mm. and and insane. But you know, kind of like uh, kind of like your show, like this show. I think it is. It's a real treat going through um, an actor's entire CV and seeing them uh, take these chances that they are. Before before I let you guys go, is there anything else that you guys want to? Give a plug a, a plug to or give a shout out to what uh, what else are you Sean, working on? I would on? not be able to sleep tonight if I came on to the Dolph Lundgren podcast and didn't mention my favorite Dolph Lundgren movie of all time. Oh, please Showdown do. in Little yes. Tokyo. Yeah, Showdown absolutely. I adore that movie. Yes. It's one of my favorite '90s action movies. It's not even 80 minutes long. It's only just over an hour, I think. Um, amazing dialogue, wall to wall action. And uh, one of the things that we haven't mentioned about the Arnithology is we took a, a change of direction. We did our own day of reckoning in a way in uh, season three, and we did forgotten films from the 80s. If we return to that and do the 90s, Showdown in Little Tokyo is absolutely getting watched by the Arnithology and talked about. Um, if Yeah, it's forgotten films is kind of like the forgotten Arnithology season. Uh, which we've we've put to rest, but we will re we will return to it. We're not it's not over, um, and we're going to do dec a decade at a time when we return to it. If we if we're struggling to find an actor for our next season, I think we're going to return to forgotten films. You know, in between, if, if if that's the case, so that might be that that might be the next season. But I I have I haven't seen Showdown in Little Tokyo, and this is this is one of the things I love about doing this, and I'm not sure, Sean, if you've actually seen already all of Dolph's films before you started this, but I love following actors this oh, way. Yes. You yeah. have already. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the things yeah. I'm getting but, out but of this. But going is... back through. Yeah. Yeah. Going back through, uh, through a retrospective yeah. lens has, uh, has been a, been a lot of fun because I'm noticing and seeing uh, new things. Yeah. That's, and that's I'm getting to see yeah. the guy try. Uh, yeah. I'm getting to see Dolph trying new, uh, new things with his career. So you've already and done. I probably didn't pick up on first time you've already yeah. done a showdown in little yeah, Tokyo. it's the first episode i listened to <laughs> yeah all oh, right I've got, I've got to check it out i've got, I've got to check it out I'm... yeah my audio was not yeah that, that was back uh, my audio was not super uh solid i think then, i'll, I'll watch it you... and then and then check out your episode that's what i'll do um uh, is yeah. that what you recommend to your fans to to watch the film and then listen to the episode is that because we we try and get our fans to do that you know i that's the first time i've been asked that i haven't thought about that right um I guess when when I want, when I do the recommendation at the end, I guess I kind of do it as okay. If you're listening to this episode, then watch the I film. I see. Yeah. Um. Hopefully, hopefully anyone who listens, you know, I'll uh, 
all 10 subscribers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I imagine that they may have already seen th- these films already, and then they're listening to the episode, and then I imagine maybe going back through and watching it again. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, I, I think uh, hopefully the, the show can be enjoyed on, on either of those fronts, either of those levels. So, and I'm really glad that, uh, that the host of the Dolph Lundgren podcast and the hosts of the Keanu Reeves podcast, we can say, yeah. were able to join forces to discuss this, uh, this particular film. This was, yeah, this thank was a you, Sean. Please, well, yeah, I, we haven't plugged it. Please go and find the Arnithology. That's all you need to look for. Um, have a listen to an episode on a film that, that you like, and hopefully you'll hear us ruin it. And yeah. uh, and do bad impressions yeah, yeah. over the course of an hour. Yeah, it's it's it, that is what it's like. And Sean, I, I'm happy to say it right, right, right up front. I don't I don't care if Ben disagrees. I'd love to have you on for for uh, oh, it's Street a, Kings. Yeah, it's done great, deal, And yeah, oh great, good, yeah, because oh cool, yeah. It, this has be been honored. a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Yeah, Thanks. yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Let's plan it. Well, guys, again, this has been a ton of fun. Um, I will, of course, I would love to join you guys for Street Kings. So when you guys get there, um, this, uh, you know, count me in. And you guys are always welcome back. So if there's ever any films that you guys would like to uh, come back for, um, I'd, I'd love to. Hey, right, thank you, man. On, okay? Well, I have to say this, Sean. We, some, from time to time, we do bonus episodes. That I'm sure you've noticed that have nothing to do with yeah. our current season. Like we, we did one on The, the Postman. Uh, a while ago which yeah i listened to that one yeah. that was great which right. has a scene from yes. universal soldier in it so that's so cool it's so cool i love yeah. that crossover and we've got this thing we we call at the moment we're calling it the keanu verse uh where we find these little easter eggs between movies that just you know mess with our heads and uh we we used to call it the cruisy verse before when we did the tom cruise thing and so i don't i don't mind like these universes melding and and stuff like that. So I, I don't know. I think you're going to get me into Dolph movies and I might be having to make a case for us doing a, f- a few Dolph bonus episodes, actually. Uh, so if you'd be willing to come on for them, it, I think you're, you're obviously the, the best guest we could possibly have for, for any of those films. Uh, maybe, maybe oh, I'll man, persuade Ben be to do pleasure. a showdown in little Tokyo episode. If you don't feel that that's uh, uh, taking from, you know, oh. what you've already done, you know, and you know what I would do is I'd also put it on the feed here. Yeah, on, well, uh, on my we, feed, if that's cool. we'd like, like to do the same with awesome. this, surely. Oh, cool. No, cool. is yeah. that not well, something we do, Ben? Yeah, totally. Would, would we not try and put this yeah. episode on? If you're on? happy yeah. to share the edit with us, we'll, we'll put it on our feed for sure. Most definitely. Most definitely. Cool. All right. Well, guys, this has been a uh, this has been an absolute treat. Thank you very, very much. Um, to everyone out there who is listening, please feel free to rate and review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you go to subscribe. We always appreciate the reviews. and. Until the next day of reckoning, this was Sean, Ben Hyten, and Alex Valerdi, and we'll see you all next time on I Must Break This Podcast. Mm-hmm.